Let's turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. If you want to give this a title today. If you want to give this a title. It's Raining in Life. Raining in Life. <coughs> Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. I'm reading out of the New King James today. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I considered the works of your hands, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now the word angels here in the Hebrew is the word Elohim. You have made him, uh, the, the Christian Standard Bible says, you made him a little less than God. You made man a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. And there are a number of other translations that also translate this word as a god or Elohim and not angels, not like we think of angels. Verse 6, you have made him to have dominion. You have made man to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So the psalmist here, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is extolling the glory of God in creation. Uh, the heavens and the earth, all of the plant life, all of the animal life uh, didn't just happen. This, this didn't just happen. Um, God created the heavens and the earth, including all life. Now, in the 1920s, there was a Catholic priest in Belgium who uh, came up with this theory that um, the observable universe is the result of some subatomic particles who that these subatomic particles all came together uh, in a specified point in the universe. And this explosion of these subatomic particles uh, created the matter which produced the galaxies and the universe. And this, uh, this theory from this Catholic priest became widely accepted in the scientific community. But God released his faith with words. Amen? God created the heavens and the earth, including all life. Now, if this theory of this uh, priest, which in modern days is called the Big Bang Theory, if that's how we got here, and if that's how the earth and the heavens were created. If he, this theory has been taught as, as fact in schools worldwide, but if this, if this uh, is how we got here, and that's how the complexities and the precision and the intricacies of the human body and the universe got here, then we should be able to recreate that process on a smaller scale. We should be able to go out here in the street and we could take some rubber and some leather and some carpet and some chrome and some metal and plastic and just pile it up out here in the street and take a stick of dynamite and put it in the pile and blow it up. And then come back a few hours later and when all the parts have all 
settle back to the ground, we would find a brand new Mercedes sitting there. <laughs> now, we, you know, we could repeat that event a thousand times, and you are never going to have a brand new Mercedes sitting there. That is not the way you produce a new Mercedes. A new Mercedes is the result of intelligent design. Amen? Yes. A new Mercedes is the result of intelligent design. And if, if intelligent design is required to produce something as simple as a car, then how much more intelligent design is involved in the creation and precision of the heavens and the earth? Why is it that, that earth is just in the exact location in the universe to sustain life? If we were any closer, we would burn up. To the, if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were any further away, we would freeze to death. How is it random coincidence that, that, that the earth just happens to be in the exact location to sustain, to sustain life? It's because God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, released his faith through spoken words creating the vast expanse of the universe, the dry land, the seas, all the sea creatures, and all the plant life. And then man was the pinnacle, the, the cream on, icing on the top of God's creation. How much does Mount Everest weigh? How much, how much water is in the Atlantic Ocean? God knows. God knows. Um, and their weight is perfectly distributed throughout the earth. The water, all the oceans, all the mountains, the Alps, the Rocky Mountains. It's in perfect balance. We're not leaning over like this, you know. Everything's in perfect balance. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Uh, Isaiah 48, 13 says, It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth, my right hand that spread out the heavens above. When I call out the stars, they all appear in order. Uh, verse 3 says here, um, your heavens are the work of your fingers. The moon and the stars you have ordained. God has ordained this. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're, we're building a, we're laying a foundation here concerning the creation of earth and man uh, to establish how significant the earth and man actually is. We're, that's what we're, we're building a foundation on. Romans 1 tells us that creation itself is a witness to the world that God is responsible for the intelligent design of all things made. In verse 23 it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All people know in their hearts by observing the created world that God exists. That's what Romans chapter 1 tells us. So, so really, no one is without excuse. The point is, you are significant. Uh, if you, um, what he's saying here. The, the, the vastness of the universe and the mountains and the seas and the oceans, what is man compared to the vastness of the rest of creation? What is man that God makes such a big deal about man? Why is, God, why is man such a big deal? I mean, we're a, speck of the, we're a speck of dust compared to the Alps. You know what I mean? You stand up next to the Alps and we're, we're just a little ant, you know? Man is a drop in the ocean. As far as our size compared to the rest of creation, we're, we're like a drop in the ocean compared to the rest of creation. Why has God placed so much importance on man? That's what we're, that's what we're getting to. 
We are significant. God created you a little lower than himself. He created you in the likeness and image of God, by God <coughs> himself. And this says, we have been given dominion. Amen? Where is that verse? Um, <coughs> where is it? Where is it? No, the inhaler won't work when it's like this. He has, here it is, verse 6. Let's read that together. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. One more time. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Amen. Hallelujah. So you've got these group of people called deists who believe that God does not intervene in, this na in the natural function of this world, that he created it, but he just gave it a spin and walked off and has left mankind to just be uh, victims and, the, and the, uh, under subjugation to the forces of nature and that God does not intervene in the functioning natural world. Then you have Christians in the other ditch and they believe God causes everything to happen. God, everything that happens is all God's, part of God's plan, the evil, the adversity uh, of life, all the trials are somehow part of God's mysterious plan for man. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? How, if if, if uh, one sparrow falls to the ground, your heavenly father sees it. He said the number of hairs on your head, your hairs are numbered. Amen. Your hairs are numbered. Luke, Jesus said that in Luke 12, 7. How much more value are you than a sparrow? <coughs> So God places so much more significance and importance on man. Why would God, why would he bother to keep an account of something as trivial as the number of hair on our head? Why would God bother with such trivial information? Well, that's the point. It's not trivial. It's not insignificant. You, you are important. You are significant. There's nothing trivial to God about you. If it's important to you, it's important to him. Psalm 139.13 says, You are the one who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's womb. We are the reason that there's an earth. We are the reason that there's a solar system. Amen. So let's say this together. He made, me he made me to have dominion. He made me to rule and reign. Amen. Hallelujah. But uh, thousands of years of religious man-made traditions uh, and uh, just, you know, just religion and tradition of, of men have reduced millions of Christians thinking down to, to orphans and beggars. There are so many Christians that their, their thinking has been reduced to orphans and beggars just because of the religious tradition that they've heard. And they say, well, we'll have, we'll have authority when we get to heaven. We won't need authority when we get to heaven. The devil's not going to be there. There's not going to be anything in heaven we need to take authority over. Right here in this life is where we need to be exercising our authority. In the Bible, it says God made us to have dominion, and he has put all things under our feet. Let's say this together. He made, me he made me to have dominion. To have dominion. I, was created I was created to rule and reign. To rule and reign. He has put all things under my feet. Now, turn over to Psalm 115. Psalm 115, <coughs> verse 12 and 13. Psalm 115, verse 12 and 13 says, 
the Lord has been mindful of us. The Lord has been mindful of us. God's Word translation says, the Lord is always thinking about us. Yes. The New English translation says, the Lord takes notice of us. Out of all creation, God is thinking about us. He takes notice of us. The Living Bible says, Jehovah is constantly thinking about us. Of all the things going on in the earth that, that could uh, attract his attention, God is constantly thinking about us. What's he thinking about? Well, it goes on to tell us. He will bless us. He will surely bless us. God is constantly thinking about how he can bless us. And you will never hear this in most churches. Verse 14 says, May the Lord increase you more and more, you and your children. Verse 15 and 16 in the message translation says, May you be blessed by God, by God who made heaven and earth. Who made heaven and earth? The heaven. God, the heaven of heavens is for God. This is a message translation. The heaven of heavens is for God, but he put us in charge of the earth. The heaven, even the heavens are God, but he put us in charge of the earth. Who's in charge of the earth? We are. We are. Amen. The earth belongs to us. It is ours. God created it for us. We are why there is an earth. Now this answers a lot of questions about the sovereignty of God. People always bring up, well, God is sovereign, you know, which basically they're saying God can do anything. Well, there's, that's not true. God can't do anything. He cannot lie. He cannot break his word. God in his sovereignty has bound himself to his word. Uh, God has chosen, in his sovereignty, God has chosen to put man in charge of this earth. That's the sovereignty of God. He chose to put us in charge of this earth. And he, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to... Uh, Bind, to, to bind himself to his word. God has bound himself to his word and he cannot break his word. When Adam transferred his dominion on the earth to the devil, God did not intervene. He did not intervene. Of course he saw what Adam was doing. Of course he saw it. Uh, he, he gave this earth to Adam, lock, stock, and barrel, and it was Adam's to do whatever. And even though God saw he was making a huge mistake, God did not come in and say, Whoa, Adam, you are goofing up my plan. I'm coming back in here and I'm taking this thing back. No. God had, had bound himself to his word that he had given this authority over to this, uh, this planet, over to Adam, and the devil standing there watching it. And so God, if God would have come in and taken this thing back, the devil would have said, whoa, God, you lied. Just a few minutes ago, you told him it was his, and now you're coming back in here, stepping in. You, you lied, bow your knee. No, God could not go back on his word. God could not go back on his word. Now God's on the outside with now the authority on the earth having been transferred from man to God's enemy. Now what's God going to do? He's got no legal way to get back in here and operate. Except he makes a covenant with a man who's on the earth. He makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. A man who would teach and train his children. And God said, Abraham, if you will obey me 
and you'll let me be your God and you'll, you'll let me work through you. Uh, I will bless you. I will bless uh, the whole earth through you. You will be a blessing to the whole earth. So this is why God had to make a covenant with Abraham. It gave him a legal way to uh, operate in the earth through his covenant man. Take, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness uh, of those two cities had gotten to the level where it just couldn't be ignored anymore. Did God just come blasting? Did he just all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, I am fed up with this and, it, and start raining fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah? No, he didn't. He didn't just wake up one day and start raining fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. What did he do? He called a meeting with his covenant man, Abraham, to discuss it. God said, Abraham, you're my covenant man. We need to have a talk. We need to discuss the situation over here in Sodom and Gomorrah. We got to do something about this. God discussed Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham before he took any action. Abraham said, God, uh, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? No, God, he said, God, I know you wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. If you can find 50 righteous, will you spare the city? God said, yeah. If you can find 40 righteous, will you spare the wicked? Yeah, I'll, I will. Then he got him down to 20. Then he got him down to 10. He said, if I can find 10 righteous men, I won't destroy these cities. Well, we know there were not 10 righteous men. There were not 10 righteous men, so, so God had to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But you can see the part that Abraham played in this. The, the, this Abraham was involved in this uh, action of God whether he even took the action and, and how he took it. This was, this was a discussion with his covenant man. So this popular doctrine that God is in control is unscriptural. The starving children, the ravages of war, the earthquakes, uh, you hear people say that somehow this is the will of God. We just, we just don't understand it. This is part of the mysterious will of God. God is not in control of everything. He does not plan everything that happens. Jesus said the devil, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan is the god of this world, the little god of this world. And God has given us, the body of Christ, authority in this earth. Amen. So let's say this together. God gave us a planet. God gave us a planet. Planet Earth. Planet Earth. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So God created us to rule and reign on the earth, not to be under the thumb of the devil, his, his enemy. Now let's go to uh, Genesis 1, right back to the very beginning. And in the... Uh, Genesis 1, the first five days of creation here, God created the heavens, the dry land, the seas, all of the sea life, the plants, the birds, and the animal life. And then we get down to verse 26. Then we get down to verse 26. Um... On the sixth day, and it says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Well, is God look like a caveman? Does God look like a monkey? <laughs> no. So if we're created in God's image, then we're created in God's image. Amen? According to our likeness, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. The first thing right out of the box in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our likeness's image. Let them have dominion. 
He didn't say, I'm creating man to worship me. He didn't say, say I'm creating man to serve me. I'm create, creating man to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. The very first gift God gave man was dominion and authority. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said to them, the first words man ever heard from God, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Here it is again, subdue it, have dominion. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Much of the church world has been taught to believe something else. But the Word of God says from the very beginning, we have been created, ordained, and appointed to have dominion over this planet. God has given it to us. Now, what evidence do we have that Adam really had this much authority? Well, just we just go right into uh, chapter 2 there, verse uh, 19. Out of the ground, uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, to see what Adam would call them. God brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named all the animals. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Adam named all the animals and the birds, not God. We just read that God gave dominion over all the earth to Adam, everything that swims, flies, and crawls. And, and God, God didn't say, nah, I don't like giraffe. Let's call it something else. No, that doesn't look like an elephant. Let's call it something else. No. God didn't say, Adam, you're new at this. You don't have much experience. Just... Get out of the way and let me do this. No. God, God said, you, you're going to name the animals. And whatever Adam called them, that's their name. So this is a, this within a five-minute process, and this wasn't something done by a caveman with a stick grunting around pointing at things. This is a highly intelligent, uh, brilliant being that named the animals. Amen. Write this down. If you give people responsibility, you must also give them authority. And that's what God did. Yes. He gave him responsibility for naming the animals. He gave him responsibility for everything that happens here. So he also gave him the authority to do something about it. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn over to Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 4. We're talking about reigning in life. Me and you. Reigning in this life. Not just when we get to heaven. In this life. In Luke 4, uh, after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit baptism, he was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And in verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a, uh, sorry. Uh, and the devil said to him, All this authority, all this what? All this authority... I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whoever I wish. The devil said, 
All of this authority I will give to you. That sounds like the authority that Adam once had, doesn't it? Yes. So now man doesn't have it anymore. The devil has it. Now, um, some translations say it has been handed over to me. Now, you hear people say, well, that's not true. The devil didn't have this authority. God had authority. The devil was just lying to Jesus. Well, if the devil was lying to Jesus that, that about this authority, if he was lying to Jesus and the authority wasn't really his to give, in the first place, Jesus would have known that it was a lie. But secondly, if this was a lie from the devil, it would not have been a temptation to Jesus. And he was tempted. Yes. He was tempted at this yes. offer, at this deal. Uh, in verse 7, the devil said, Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. All the kingdoms, all the riches of this uh, uh, earth, I will give it to you. Uh, what's the temptation here? The devil is offering Jesus an opportunity to regain Adam's authority without having to go through the suffering of the cross. Jesus is looking at all this and he's saying, you mean I could bypass, uh, I can bypass the cross and I don't have to go through all that suffering. All I have to do is just worship the devil one time. That's what um, the Amplified Classic says. If you will do homage to and worship me just once, it shall all be yours. And this was a huge temptation. This was a huge temptation to Jesus. And it pulled on him because he, he knew. Um, he knew that this was an opportunity. He, did, he could have gotten this authority back without having to go through the suffering of the cross. Uh, and the devil tempted Jesus with some of the same things he tempted Adam with. Something to eat. That was one of the things he tempted him with. But Jesus said no. And Jesus passed the test. If the devil had this authority like he claimed and man did not have it, then how did this happen? How did the devil get this authority? Where did it come from? There are millions of Christians that believe, um, you know, they, they don't believe that, at, that the devil really had this authority. They just believe God has all the authority. Uh, and they believe that God has even given, God has given the devil authority. And, and that God is somehow working in cooperation with the devil. That the devil is an agent of God. And, um, and that the devil has given, uh, God has given the devil free reign on this earth uh, in order to create all these uh, trials and sickness and disease and things that will teach us something. And there are millions of Christians and pastors that believe this. They believe God and the devil are cooperating together in partnership. Well, folks, if God and the devil are working together in partnership, we've had it. I mean, who are you going to go to for help? You know, if you're sick and you go to God and say, God, the devil's trying to make me sick. Would you do get this off of me? God's going to say, yeah, I know the devil made you sick. I told him to make you sick. Now, people believe that. Christian, they believe. Yeah. They believe, uh, yeah, I told him to make you sick. You're going to learn something out of this. <coughs> Millions of people believe this. Uh, even the Pharisees accused Jesus of cooperating with the devil, of working together with the devil. They, the Pharisees said, uh, this man uh, cast out devils, by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And, and Jesus said, well, if Satan is divided against Satan, his kingdom's going to fall. He said, I cast out devils by the finger of God. So even Jesus was accused of working in cooperation with the devil 
to, to operate on the earth. But thousands of pastors and Christians believe this to some degree. They are taught that God uses the curse, tornadoes, cancer, poverty to teach us something. Well, when are we ever going to learn? You know, after 2,000 years, we should have learned by now. Hallelujah. So, Satan is God's enemy, and the devil and God are not working together. Hallelujah. So, Adam had the dominion, and somehow the devil got it. So, let's return to Romans 5. Romans 5, and this is going to uh, tell us how and when the devil came to have all the authority in the earth. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So you could say the devil reigned from Adam to Moses. Even, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, that's talking about Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's Adam, um, much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will do what? Reign in life. Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. It doesn't say reign just in heaven. It says, reign in this life through the one Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to be doing? Reigning. Ruling and reigning in this life. Because a man on this earth with authority, because a man was involved in the transfer of this authority to the devil, then a man had to be involved in getting it back. And it had to be a man on this earth, and that man was Jesus. And this is why, this is why Jesus had to come to earth as a man in a physical body. God came to earth in a physical body. And it had to do with giving him authority to be here. That's why Jesus had to come in a physical blood and bone body. God came to earth as a man, Jesus. And this is why Jesus had to be born on earth in a physical body to give him the legal right to be here and exercise authority. Now turn over to John chapter 10 and we will see this. We'll see why Jesus had to be born here in a human body. Verse 1. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now the word sheepfold here is, represents the earth, okay? He who does not enter 
the sheep fall by the door, but climbs up some other way. He's the same as a thief and a robber. The door represents the entrance to the earth. So how did each one of us gain entry into this earth? We were born here. We were born here by a woman. We came through this earth, we came into this earth all the same way we were born here. This is why Jesus had to be born here the same way we are born here. So the only door to entry into this earth and legally be here is to have a physical body. And this is why God had to come to earth in a physical body. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem in a manger and so forth. Then he goes on to say, but uh, the one who does not enter, the one who's not born here with a physical body, but client, he comes into the earth some other way, He's a thief and a robber. Well, who's that talking about? That's the devil. The devil was not born here. He doesn't have a physical body. Therefore, he has no legal right to be here. He has no legal right to be here. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door, now Jesus is talking about I'm the door. Jesus is the door. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So he's talking about himself now. Jesus entered the earth door by being here in a physical body, and he's the shepherd of the sheep. Then verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's saying, I'm the door to salvation. You don't get, through, you don't get to salvation without going through me. I'm the door to salvation. Everybody has to come through my door to receive salvation. Verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the door to entry into this earth is to be born here, and the door to salvation is coming through Jesus. He's the door to salvation. Now turn back, uh, we're just finishing off here. Turn back to Luke 4 again. Um, and this is after the temptation of the devil. In verse uh, 14, Luke 4, 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. Then verse 32, And they were astonished, at his teaching, for his word was with what? Authority. His word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Shut up and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is, for with what authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Amen. Now people today say, of course they came out. This was Jesus. He's the son of God. Of course the demons would obey him. Jesus is the son of God. He was the son of God, but he was not doing this as the son of God. He was doing it as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit with the authority on this earth to exercise dominion. He, he is God. He was God. Uh, but if Jesus, if Jesus was operating here on the earth using his divine ability and power as God, then there was no reason for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
There's no reason for him to be anointed by the Spirit of God. If he's operating as God, God doesn't need to be anointed. No, it's because he was operating on this earth as a man, he had to be anointed by God. So people say, well, Jesus performed miracles. He healed the sick. He spoke to the devil, you know, wind. He cast out the devils because he was God. No, that's wrong. You don't see Jesus, um, uh, you don't see Jesus healing the sick, casting out the devil, exercising authority over the natural elements. We do not see any of these happening before he was 30 years old when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you might read somewhere where Jesus, as a little boy, healed his little friends and he healed the birds and animals. This is hogwash. Don't believe that. That's hogwash. Jesus did not perform any miracles as a child. He was not operating on this earth using his divine attributes. Even though he is God, he operated on earth as a man. In the book of Matthew alone, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man 29 times. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So what works did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He took authority over the natural elements. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Well, if Jesus is healing the sick, casting out devils, using his divine ability as God to minister on the earth, where does that leave us? Because we're not God. We, we have no divine ability to call on or use in ourselves. So Jesus said, the work I do, you will do also, and greater works than these. So obviously he wasn't doing this as God and using his divine attributes because he says, you're going to do the same thing. So how are we going to do them? The same way he did. We're going to do it the same way he did. As a man, we're going to do it anointed with the same spirit that was on him, the same authority in his name, uh, we can do what he did and walk in the dominion that Jesus walked in. Verse 38 says, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother as, was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. Verse 39, So he stood over her and prayed. Is that what it says? No, he didn't pray. He rebuked the fever. He spoke to the fever. Jesus is talking to a fever. Can fevers hear you? Amen. Yes. Obviously, they can hear you because this one left. When Jesus rebuked it and told it to leave, it left. So obviously, fevers can hear you. Jesus is acting like he has dominion and authority over fevers, over sickness, over wind, over demons, over everything in the earth. You see it all over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So people who believe that Jesus was doing all this as the Son of God are missing the whole point. They, they'll say that to, to excuse us of having to exercise any authority or dominion here and just letting the devil run rampant. This is not the case. Philippians 2.7 in the Amplified Bible says, but Jesus emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity. So he was still deity, he was still God, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human. 
but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. So God, Jesus was fully God, he was fully man, but he operated here on the earth as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly how he's equipped us to operate. We have the same spirit, we have his name, we have the same authority. He took back with great conquest the authority that Adam handed over to the devil, and now Jesus has turned around and given it right back to us. So, if Jesus was uh, using his divine ability as God, then there was no reason for him to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Not oppressed by God. God didn't give the devil permission. He, he'll just do it anyway. God didn't give the devil permission, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus is walking in the dominion and the authority God intended for man to walk in all along, over demons, over disease, over the elements. Really, if you look through the ministry of Jesus, it, it wasn't that often that he actually prayed for the sick. There were a few times he prayed for the sick. But he, he never prayed for the woman with the issue of blood. He never prayed for Jairus' daughter. He never prayed for the centurion's servant. He never prayed for the Syrophoenician's daughter. He never prayed for the woman bowed over in the synagogue. He never prayed for the man with the withered hand. What did he do? He spoke to the part of their body. He spoke to the fever. He spoke to the devils. He spoke to them. Amen. Exercising authority and dominion. Amen. Amen. So the, the entire world has been told that they are nothing, they can have nothing, and they can do nothing. That, that we're just helpless victims here. Most of the church has been taught that we're a bunch of low-life, lowly worms. We're a bunch of beggars and orphans. And, and the devil's just been running rampant uh, on this earth. But the evil one has been stripped and brought to naught by Jesus, our example. And all things have been put under our feet. And we have been given the name of Jesus uh, with beings under the earth, beings on the earth, and beings above the earth subject to that name. So dominion was given to man. It was lost by man. And now it has been restored to man through the man Christ Jesus, and it belongs to us today. Amen? So let's say this together. The earth belongs to us. The earth belongs to us. I was created to have dominion. I was created to have dominion. I was created to rule and reign. All things have been put under my feet. All things have been put under my feet. Amen. Amen. Amen.